0: quest episode 176 uh attempt number two i'm your host mike apps aka wheels and with me as always
1: no longer me no longer mario david McBurney, family minister
2: and your man in japan michael baker gaijima no Guitare.
1: and uh we have already had to junk part of a recording so let's get this moving
0: yeah uh, junk by junk you mean it was never recording because i failed to the extreme that's like junking yeah but more so uh,
1: yeah. but yeah uh that's like being junked by God um let's see uh, uh
0: how do we want to do this. Do you wanna jump into what we were playing? yeah sure. let's, do it, right let's do let's do a quick I? version of that okay uh so uh, as people anyone on discord has probably seen, I've s- recently switched around my avatar, and that is all based around the fact that my daughter is suddenly super into Pokemon. So I've been playing a lot of uh, S- Sword and Shield and um, Sun and Moon because uh, she's wanted to watch me play them. So uh, naturally, I'm not going to say no to that, especially since it's not fucking Minecraft. Uh, I hope they make Pokemon Minecraft, though. Uh, they do not. But yeah, I've been, I've been playing a lot of that. I finished up, um, finished up the expansion to Shield. Shield. Uh, which was pretty fun. I kind of wished there was a bit more to it, but I mean, it's got a sizable wild area, you get a cool new Pokemon, and the story's kind of fun. So, all in all, um, it, it was fine. I feel like probably after the second expansion, uh, there'll be a lot more to do. Uh, but yeah, overall, it's been pretty good, and I, um, uh, I've been messing around with some online battles, which I've never really done in a Pokemon game before. Um, and I have not done very well. Because uh, I'm just not very... I don't know the strategy, I guess would be the simplest way to put it. Uh, but I've just been doing like the double battles that they typically use in tournaments and stuff and trying to figure it out and um uh, of recent note was I played against somebody that had several shiny legendaries from Sun and Moon, uh Solgaleo and Ludalis, who I didn't even realize were had finally been brought over to Sword and Shield. And yeah, that was interesting, although I almost won anyway. So Yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. Doing lots of Pokemon. Sun and Shield is still really awesome. I uh, haven't gotten to Moon yet because of this, but hopefully soon. So yeah, that is the shorter version of what I said before that didn't get recorded.
1: Shorter, more succinct, more powerful. Yes. Uh, let's see if I can match that. Uh, I've been playing smatterings of Metal Max, Moon, uh, dandy dungeon and chibi robo and playing a bit of moon and then a bit of chibi robo is a really good way to be incredibly clear that they share plenty of Lavadelic dna even as Lavadelic exploded into five different companies uh yes they just uh there's just an immediate, obvious similarity that was completely lost on all, uh, on basically all English-speaking players when that game came out. So, that's been an interesting thing to think about. Uh, let's see, uh, but yeah, I've been enjoying Moon. I mentioned in the first recording there is a certain uh, inescapable PS One ness of style in that game that I don't think they could ever recreate even if they tried and I find that incredibly charming Mm -hmm. Uh, and right as we realized that our recording was uh, doomed to failure uh, I was going through uh, Gaijin was talking about some of the things that like you see in the opening bit which is a direct parody of like a Dragon Quest-esque RPG
2: massive parody of Dragon Quest
1: (laughs) yeah Uh, and like you see all these things that the hero is doing and some of them they don't make a ton of sense or like he's just doing things and then like you kind of get context for them when you start playing the actual game uh but the one that i was thinking about when i that like really caught my eye when i was playing it is one of the first things your character does is he tries to kill a dog uh well not your character but the hero tries to do is kill a dog and the dog escapes it runs away and then, like immediately, when you start playing again, you can see him like desperately chasing that dog around the opening town, like just trying to kill it for some reason.
2: Because it's, he is an experience, um, or an EXP obsessed murder hobo.
1: Yeah, so he just he's just doing the RPG thing. It's like, no, I have to kill it because if it just runs away, I don't get anything for it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a very... The translation seems to be bringing across... I You know, I don't have the Japanese script to uh, compare um, it to personally, for, but... but.
2: <laughs> for the translation, I'll just say that... I mean, it's the same guy who did Dandy Dungeon, and in both cases, he both manages to capture the essence of just how weird the text could be at times, while also giving you something where you legitimately cannot tell if a typo is actually a typo or if it is intentional.
1: Yeah, it's a... At the very least, it's very much bringing across how unique and off kilter the dis- the dialogue and writing actually is. So I'd consider it a success. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, like the opening sequence to the 16-bit version of the game, it's just this full-on parody of the lore bombing that a lot of older RPGs used to do at the start.
0: <laughs> There's the a going
2: And going. going until you have like five seconds to read a 15 to 20 line wall of text
1: yeah there was a point early in that where i like wasn't fully clear on what was going on like i had forgotten that you had mentioned this opening parody so i was like am i supposed to actually be able to read this and then like once it got to like some of the later bits it's like it is Humanly impossible to read this
2: <laughs> Oh I mean it was even worse In the Japanese because the Japanese Text as I recall actually went over, Off the edges of the screen
1: It's also just like That was how you crammed can, it was You can also even just cram more into a Line of Japanese characters anyway So it becomes more obvious how impossible it would be To take in all this information
2: I mean literally the entire screen Was overlaid with Kanji running off the edges
1: i'm curious what that looks like when freeze framed in terms of whether it's saying anything at all by that point but
2: um from what i mean at least for the english one that i caught it was uh, there was a lot of repetition there was a lot of very interestingly altered words (laughs) um yeah i mean i think it actually some of it made i think it was supposed to have made sense in context but just, you have yeah. such
1: limited context for it when you're looking at it, so... Yes. <laughs> but, but that's yeah. just the
2: beginning of the, of the dedicated lampoon of Dragon Quest that the game is.
1: Yeah, it's a very... like... the un- It's the kind of thing that would only happen from someone who was immersed in both, like, essentially both ends of the RPG as it was being developed in the 16-bit era in Japan, where it's like Someone who had played a lot of RPGs, but it also worked on a number of them. And, yes. Uh, that's, uh, it's reflective of some of the thoughts that go into these kinds of things when you've just been immersed in them and then think about them a lot. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, so... So,
2: yeah. remember, um, the, the hero goes into that one shop with the beautiful lady and gets the legendary helmet and armor?
1: Yeah, and it's all just... Stuff crammed in her suitcase, or like... Uh, oh,
2: just just wait, drawers. just wait for a bit until you get to the rainbow scene, and you realize exactly what the legendary helmet and armor were. Oh God! Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, no, I have a guess now, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I,
2: I will but. leave it at that. You will, yes.
0: Um. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah.
2: yeah so... I'm. I'm about two-thirds to three-quarters of the way through the game now nice it's it's more of a question of how of what parts can i remember and what parts do i unfortunately need to go check the faq for because i don't really want to because the main faq on game facts is both hideously organized and ignores all lines of actual progress in the game
1: mm-hmm. so it's like written in to... this like sort of do this then do that style that you see sometimes kind of.
2: i mean for example um I mean, I, most recent thing I did was revive the coelacanth. Mm-hmm. and to do that, there's a ritual that you need to do that involves eating mushrooms in a certain order, <laughs> and the FAQ just says, "Okay, eat them in this order." He fails to mention how you discover this order in the first place, which is the really fun and crazy part. Yeah, uh, because it like it involves using a decryption machine in the sci-fi section to translate a couple different um, like st- literally Stone Age microchips um, to get the um, to get the um, glossary for the uh, mushroom monkey things language and then talking with mushroom monkey things and figuring out exactly how oh it's, it's it was actually really fun to figure out on my own this time I refused to actually look up the order. <laughs> But it's a lot. um, But if you're doing this without an FAQ, then it gets a lot more convoluted than it would seem just from reading that guy's FAQ because he just went for the shortest possible approach, and it loses a lot in the process.
1: Yeah, it's. uh, I. I'm appreciating like. Understanding aspects of how this this game came out, and sort of like this this brief shining period of Levadelic existing, and then exploding into a bunch of companies, and then all of them producing games that, like, when you realize their shared lineage, it's like, oh, it's obvious that they're connected. Like, yeah, the the aforementioned uh, Chibi Robo, the one I've ranted about a few times, Tulip, uh, uh, but even down to like
0: something i played recently
1: yeah yeah like uh, i was looking into just the sort of i think it was mentioned by someone on twitter and i ended up having to go check it to make sure that they weren't uh weren't uh you know just bullshitting was the like oh the one of the writers slash the composer slash one of the designers on moon went on to be the director writer in general, of Paper Mario, Sticker Star, and Color Splash, and was also a designer-slash-composer-slash-writer on uh, Origami King. And it's like, if you understand that lineage, it's like, oh, I see how this happened. Like, it suddenly kind of slides into place, like, why this game became the kind of game that it is. With the weird mood that it has, with the, like, very... Direct, off-kilter, uh, clashing of traditional Mario with reality in like the strangest, most odd way. Like I'm thinking, especially about like the thing system in uh, mm-hmm. in Sticker Star, which has the kind of obtuse puzzles that you would expect coming off of something like Moon. <laughs> But it's also Maybe like too
0: obtuse, but yes.
1: Perhaps too obtuse, just like Moon. Yeah. But uh, but also is like about the surrealist sort of clash between like the world of the game and like a real world object in a very specific fashion. Which is kind of an interesting thing to contemplate. But like their their games all share certain things about like even even down to the fact that like one of the most maligned aspects of the those games is oh they don't reward combat and it's like they're not games that want you to be in combat for combat's sake it is antithetical to the design principle that almost all of those developers have carried into future development <laughs> so it's kind of interesting but yeah uh that was just something i've been thinking about as i was sort of looking through that like the, the concept of your progress in the game being measured by how you are, like, improving the lives of those around you in, like, a semi-abstract, semi-concrete fashion is kind of interesting. But it shows up as, like, a theme in so many of the love uh, diaspora games. So, Yeah big fan. Uh, looking forward to playing essentially more of everything I've listed. Uh,
0: yeah, it makes me a little int- more interested in TV Robo now. I've <laughs> always kind of ignored those.
1: They're very... It, it definitely has Moon DNA, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh... It sets out its kind of thesis from the first from the intro, where your character, where like Chibi Robo, is presented to an eight-year-old as a birthday present. This eight-year-old refuses to speak, uh, and her parents basically just immediately get into an argument about it. (laughs) And your job as Chibi Robo is to go around the house and try to—you can't fix this, but you're trying to make them happy. Interesting. like happy points are how you are graded in that game so it's it's a it's an odd game but it's interesting it's definitely i don't think anyone was quite prepared for what it was
0: hmm. in the u.s yes
1: yeah. so yeah that's it's interesting i was looking up like the development of that game and i'm like Finding out that it was originally, like, a game about defending the house from, like, little aliens that were trying to invade it. And then there was just, like, a bunch of development turmoil. And then Miyamoto took, like, personal interest in it and tried to shepherd it to completion. Pretty, It was interesting to find out that such a, like, it's clearly a title that some people in Nintendo care a lot about, but they could never find a way to sell.
0: Hmm. (laughs)
1: Because, like, it also was a new play control title in Japan on the Wii, and it's like, there was no real place to put Wii controls into that game. They just did it because it was an excuse to try to sell it again and see if they could (laughs) get people to bite. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, kind of digging through the Lovadelic rabbit hole. Uh, And what have you been up to, uh, Gaijin, other than Moon, of course? (laughs)
2: I oh, must have been trying to finish Moon because next Thursday got the next big thing coming out for me.
0: Metal Max.
1: Oh, oh Metal Max. You know, Lino Reborn is already "quote unquote" already should have been here long ago, but it's on a yeah. it's on the horizon.
2: Yep. That, and I need to figure out exactly what I'm doing with this last thousand yen in my uh, Switch account.
1: Oh, fair, fair. Because uh, I
2: mean, yeah, Moon <laughs> was about, Moon was about two thousand yen and. They don't sell 2,000 yen cards for eShop. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. They sell 1,500 or 3,000. So, yeah.
1: There's something similar with that in the U.S. where it's like, I think it's like $10 and like $30, but no $20 or something. It's something it's weird like that. It's about dollars. the same, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's like it's
0: <laughs> 20 weird. or 35, I think. And 50?
1: Yeah, it's like, a, it's a weird number. It's,
0: it's weird. I think it's 10... 20 35 and 50 which
1: yeah why why not just do 10 20 30 40 50 or even 10 20 30 50 it's Mm. i don't understand whatever it's weird and of course i'm trying to do that before the uh mario 3d all-stars they just announced comes and devours Mm. my nostalgic soul
0: the collection of three that should be a collection of four
1: Listen, they've got to find a way to sell you Galaxy, eventually, Galaxy 2 eventually. I guess. <laughs> like, the second that that thing goes off sale, they're just going to unpack it. Like they're just going to sell all of them separately, and then Galaxy 2 is going to get sold separately. I could see that. That is my current bet. But, yeah. I don't know. I like Galaxy 1 better than Galaxy 2, so I'm not too broken up about it. Harsh. I mean, whatever. It's it's fascinating for being a version of Mario sixty four that has essentially never been re released,
0: because
1: hmm. it is the Rumble Pack version that only came out in Japan, and has minor changes and bug fixes. Most notably, it uh, guts the core speed running tech of that game.
0: Oh, uh, mm-hmm.
1: you can't build up infinite decelerating momentum by ba- long jumping backwards. So, and this was, like, this was at a time, like, this was not them spitefully trying to destroy speedrunners. This was a version that would have been compiled in, like, 1997. It was just someone noticing, like, oh, you can you can accelerate back, you can decelerate infinitely. That's probably not something that should be in there. You just go in and fix it. It's probably not even that big of a fix, but, like, <laughs> suddenly it guts the entire speedrunning thing. And I'd kind of like to see what people try... What speedruns of that version of the game end up looking like just mm. because you can't backwards long jump? Mm. Uh, yeah, so there's that version. I can be disappointed by Mario Sunshine all over again. Uh, so yeah, uh, big ups to Mario.
0: Uh, also, Mario Three D World is coming to Switch.
1: Yeah, and it's apparently getting a lot of changes to it that they didn't immediately advertise.
0: <laughs> oh.
1: Oh really? Did you not check the video I sent you with? No. So, as far as people can tell, just by -by side-by-siding the trailers, you run a lot faster in this one. Huh. Like, a lot faster. Like, maybe 1.3 times as fast. Which doesn't sound like much, but, I mean, it's a huge increase to your top speed. There's online multiplayer. The camera doesn't seem to work the same way anymore. Uh... And the new level that they showed for the Bowser's Fury subsection, which is like the it's Super Mario 3D World plus Bowser's Fury, is designed like nothing in the core game. It looks like a Mario Odyssey level, which is weird. Huh. So, yeah. Uh, very interested to see what all has changed under the hood in that because it seems like they have made a lot of changes and kept a tight lid on what most of them are. Hmm. <laughs> But, hey, we can play it online, so that's important.
0: Yeah. We shall see.
1: So, yeah, Mario Stravaganza. Uh, congratulations on turning 35. A uh, few more years and you start needing to schedule regular colonoscopies okay. with your doctor. Done, Good okay. luck, Mario. Uh, please don't remind me. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. But, Yeah. So there's there's your Mario. I'm uh, glad that I can play Mario 64 on a portable and not have it adulterated with Yossi content this time. So, uh,
0: what You don't want to play as Wario in Mario 64?
1: Uh, not if he's going to run as slow as he does in Mario <laughs> 64 DS. <laughs> <laughs> Wario is like a punishment, like... You, they needed to put the big black blocks for him to hit, because otherwise you'd never want to play as him. <laughs> yeah, so excited, and uh, I'll probably force myself to finally properly finish Sunshine, since as a child, I was so disappointed by that game, I never finished it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I had trouble so, getting into it too, although I was also older at the time.
1: Yeah, uh... I forget which birthday I got that for, but it was one of those things where it was like, oh, man, it's been years and years since the last Mainline Mario. I can't wait. Oh. I don't like this as much, and I can't fully articulate why. And then over the years, it was like, oh, it's like, I like the sense of mood that it has, but there's no level variety, and also the progression system's terrible.
0: It's a weird as it turns
1: <laughs> As it turns out the number of shines in that game means almost nothing it only determines when the next level opens up you still have to do all of the shines in all of the levels because the last level doesn't open up until you actually like defeat shadow mario in every level and that's the seventh episode of every level why did you make uh, it like this uh, I don't so yeah okay let's, let's
2: move on so I, yeah, have... yeah, I was gonna say let, let's move on
0: here uh, Platy M actually asked us individual questions in the chat. Oh no!
1: <laughs>
0: Let me know. We should uh, get those out of the way. Yeah. Before I have to sneak away. So first is Gaijin. What's one Metal Max game I should play to show me how good Metal Max could be?
2: Ask yourself: Is it on a DS? Yes. Play it. <laughs> But I can't three, two, reloaded, play Metal or four—all really Steel. good.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. Hey, Season of Steel is still better than a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Yep. Let's see. Yeah. So I mean, the best parts of Season of Steel are all the parts that they end up taking on to the rest of the DS games. So
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems like the DS games kind of just get better as they go on. So, but only one of them's in English, so maybe that one. <laughs> So yeah, go
2: for it, Metal Max Three. Nice, it's good.
1: Yeah, can vouch personally now. Uh, what are you, what's your question, Wheels? Before you uh, disappear.
0: Out of the old saga games, which version of which game should I play for a definitive good experience?
1: That is so many questions all at once.
0: Yes, yes it is. N- which old sagas are we talking about? Because there's a lot of them. I assume he's talking about the Game Boy games, since. They recently announced that collection. Saga 2DS, oh, yeah.
1: maybe?
0: Yeah, that, I would have to say uh, Saga 2DS for
2: sure. Yeah, Sog- the DS remake on that one managed to keep all of the core material from the original game.
0: Yeah,
2: it's not- Intentionally, that was actually the stated um, goal of the developers. Whereas Saga 3, the stated goal was, let's see how much we can get away with changing. <laughs>
0: and as it turns out a lot <laughs> thankfully yeah. i mean
2: with i mean okay even ignoring the complete alterations to the characterization system and the battle system and a few other systems all they had to really do for 3 was to keep adding more content
1: for the story
0: yeah, yeah. and they did
1: a lot which does bring up like if, if what PlatyM means is just to play the old old games, like if they're just thinking of picking up collection of saga and wanting to decide which one to play, it's Saga Two. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I have watched this I have a sauce pot for the first game, but two is undeniably better.
1: Two is the first but more so, and with like kind of fixing how deterministic humans are and moving that off to robots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean Legend
2: one is the Model A and Model T, and or which which one came first, Model A or Model T? I
1: think the Model T was the mass market one that was like the success.
2: So okay, Legend the, two is the Model T. Yeah. yeah,
0: and you can safely just ignore the original version of three. It's boring.
1: It might be mildly interesting as like a uh, oh this is why these games need to be weird because if they're not they're boring. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Also what happens when you hand it off to the wrong secondary studio for development. Though I think we can possibly blame some of the translation for that, too, because a lot of scenes in that game did not make much sense in English. No. (laughs) And they also somehow managed to remove most of the signs that there were huge Lovecraft references throughout Legend 3.
0: Yeah, see, I never yeah, picked up any of that, so yeah.
2: They, yeah, just, yeah I, I, I didn't really pick it up either until I started trying to figure out why the names in the, the Japanese version I was playing were so different, and it was like, wait a moment. Okay, well, that's the, this is the pillared city of Elam. Okay, there's... Okay, this this town that's about to sink that's effectively Innsmouth. Um, okay, this, that, yeah, and th- it's like... We just have a lot of Lovecraft references for some random reason. Huh. And this makes some of the Divine Beast designs in the latter half of the game make a lot more sense. Or any oh. of the major boss designs in the game make a lot more sense.
0: So. I really want to get back to the remake now. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I got stuck on a boss in that and could never really get past it.
1: Yeah. Um... Yeah. So that, that would be generally like if you if you need to if you want to play like a Game Boy a Game Boy Saga game like it's Final Fantasy Legend Two. Yeah. But yeah.
0: Um,
1: did I get asked a question? I'm not sure if I was included. Yes,
0: you did. Oh no. <laughs> uh, your question is: Which version of which lunar title should I play?
1: Ooh. Uh... <laughs> I'd start with the PS1 version of Lunar 1. They made a lot more versions of Lunar 1. None of them is actually an improvement. Uh, The PS1 version essentially functions, I've mentioned this before, it backports a lot of the improvements to to Lunar 2 into Lunar 1. Makes it a much stronger game. Lunar 2, I think, is a better game, but it functions a lot better if you've played Lunar 1, because it's like reliant on context for that to sort of like sell a lot of its twists and like certain characters being referenced mean a lot more if you actually know who they are uh so yeah uh ps1 version of lunar one is the uh is the best version of that game so that would definitely be the one i would choose to do first and then for lunar two there's only two versions, and they're much, much, much more similar than the Sega CD and PS1 versions of Lunar One. Uh, the Sega CD and PS1 versions of Lunar Two. Very, very similar games. Uh, Lunar t- PS1 is probably a little more friendly, but I mean, they're. It's very much just like which which graphics do you like better. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, they're both uh, they're both great versions. Uh, I can't remember if both of them have the one of the villains making a reference to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> so you know, your mileage may vary. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, that version uh, PS One Lunar Silver Star Story Complete is what you want. Uh, Dragon Song doesn't exist. Uh, Walking school is just kind of boring. So... There. There's your quick rundown. Dragon Song
0: doesn't exist.
1: Does not exist. Fake video game conjured up to hurt me.
0: But it's published by Ubisoft. In the West. Yet another reason to not exist. (laughs) Is it really that bad? All... Do I need to go over this again? No, no, you don't have to. I know.
1: Because I will. I'll yell at you for 20 minutes. <laughs> I'll wait until Gaijin's, until we have to let Gaijin go and I'm having to waste, waste time until you get back. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, getting back uh, to
2: that, we we have the usual, um, it, is anybody archiving
1: these questions that is giving us? I've been keeping track of them by like knowing which posts I finished reading. <laughs>
2: Well, the thing is, it's like, yeah, I mean, I'm not quite sure how far back I have to go now to
1: make it's sure. It's useful to get, to get a deluge occasionally. Hockey. Yeah. So
2: let's, uh, let's jump so, in here. I mean, and, like, Aria's put in a few things as well. Let's see. Oh, also, oh okay. I think, someone, I think I
0: found where we stopped. Yeah, also someone hmm. asked us the question that we asked somebody to ask us. But we should <laughs> save that for its own episode.
1: Yeah, because uh, we, we're going to be on that for quite a while.
0: Yeah. Okay.
2: Well, shall I just start reading some of these here?
1: Uh, yeah, I think I'm about to work. Wa- okay. Uh, yeah, I think I'm about to work.
2: Yeah, to... yeah, um, from August 26th, they posted them, and for some reason, he accidentally uh, re- reposted the entire set like twice or three times.
1: It happens.
0: So it's uh, not
2: quite nearly as huge a wall of text as it looks.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: I'm going to sneak um, up, guys. Okay, Okay. see you soon, Wills. All right. Okay, so if Metal Max Code Zero is really a reboot of the entire franchise, then do you think that Metal Max Xeno achieved such a big success outside Japan to encourage Kadokawa to realign the series so that it fits better with the Western audience?
1: No, thank
2: God. No, (laughs) um, because... Kind of the opposite, in fact. I think Xeno was an attempt to modernize the series to Western sensibilities based on what they had seen was succeeding in the Western market, like, through Fallout and stuff, and completely missing the mark.
1: Yeah, I think it it failed to resonate at all with the English-speaking audience, but it also, like, turned away the Japanese audience. Like, it was the worst of both worlds. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like
2: the feelings of betrayal when everyone realized that Pochi was not available in the game.
1: Like, you can tell that
2: they... We laugh, but no, that was a very
1: real reaction. Like You can tell that they felt the need to, like, immediately essentially apologize for what Zeno had been, because, like, Reborn is one of the quickest follow-ons I think I've ever seen.
2: The only one that I've seen was quicker would be Atelier Lily, and that's because the game was literally broken and they had to release a plus version with the fixes within a year.
1: Yeah, because, like, that was the only way to patch a game at the time.
2: Yeah, because it was early PlayStation 2. Um... Yeah, um, Xeno Reborn is like the closest you're ever going to see a game company admitting that they done messed, they done bleeped up yeah. massively.
1: Like I would suspect, if it did anything to the direction of Code Zero, it probably caused them to reverse course if they were considering like a darker tone for it. Let us hope. Because it's just in, in,
2: in any case, next week I can t- I will be able to tell you. Um, how much, if any, this game has improved.
1: I think so, it'll also be interesting to see how this has ended up affecting Xeno Reborn 2, which will be like the real like t- taking of the temperature to see, like, are they actually trying to fix this, or are they just going to try to plow ahead and see if they can get people to like the new direction? Yeah, no, nah, nah. so, no. I don't think it'll work, but I could see a company trying it.
2: <laughs> I, I I can definitely see a... Um, see a, an American company trying this harder than a Japanese company would.
1: Fair, fair. Kadokawa I mean, seems like a company that would just want to get whatever they thought the public would buy. Uh, yeah,
2: but, I mean, it's also, I mean, the, when we say the big companies in Japan like Kadokawa or Sega or, to an extent, Nintendo, it's the that's the umbrella and the studios yeah. beneath them are generally much more receptive to player feedback.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So... I mean, Nintendo in general is weird just because the Umbrella Company is the developing company, Studio. Very rare. (laughs) Yeah. And also that Nintendo has such a wonderful track record of understanding what the players want sometimes better than the players do. Yeah. Yeah. But um, for some reason, I'm reminded of the Golgo 13 movies. (laughs) Which I I saw one in these in college, and it was described to me as an attempt to make an anime movie that was more what, like what um, Amer- American audiences wanted out of a spy movie. And the end result was you took a 007 plot, rip out ninety percent of the plot, and stuff it with random acts of sexual tension. Yeah, and lot,
1: Like and explosions. Gogo Thirteen is bizarre to me because like it's been running on some level for like fifty years at this point. And that's basically all it's ever been. Yeah. Like, it's just, it is just, like, sex and violence. It has, uh, like, I I enjoy the occasional Golgo 13, but, like, there is not a lot to that. Yeah.
2: Or uh, Cobra the Space Pirate, which is actually generally better than Golgo, but still, it's running a very similar paradigm.
1: It's running on a very specific kind of machismo as, like, it's kind of fuel. I do like, uh, I think Cobra is also, like, a work by uh, Osamu Jazaki which was a pretty important, fairly innovative Japanese uh, anime director. So that's that's always got that going for it.
2: Yeah. Okay, let's see. Let's, let's see. Which game has good escalation in terms of questing? For example, if you start your journey saving a cat, would it be too big of a leap of faith if you turn out to be the world's savior by the end of the game? You just described the general plot arc of half of the JRPG super genre.
1: Yeah, it's really a question of how well it actually goes from beginning to end there. Like, how believable does that feel? I mean, some of the Tales games have managed
2: it quite well, and other of the Tales games have managed it quite awful.
1: Yeah thinking of, um, looking at you tales of legend. Let's see
2: for let's see for example okay, random game, Pal Shinkenden Setsu starts off you off as the dog rescuing the cat. And you do end up saving the world by the end. Good dog. And and that game is terribly paced and terribly unbalanced and terribly weird.
1: Uh, <laughs>
2: And let me not even get into the final act of the game, no, because we do not have time for this. Yeah, yeah. there's a reason why it's one of my lowest-rated games ever reviewed.
1: I'll have to go look at this. I don't think I've heard you go go on about this one before, so I'll have to...
2: Let, okay, let, let, a okay, short short version. The last act of the game.
1: Yeah, yeah. The
2: act of the game where... For, um, okay, this is an act of the game that has the only two um, boss duo fight, the only element weakness shifting boss, several other gimmicky bosses. It's also the only, um, it's also got one and only one spot near the beginning where you can swap out your magic load. Oh uh, my. I mean, you can cast all the magic types, but you can only level up specific ones that you have the scrolls equipped, and you can only equip two scrolls out of five. Oh. Um, And, Yeah, and there's only one spot towards the beginning of this last section of the game where you can do this. And you are limited in the number of healing items you can carry. Total of nine.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. And, 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 you do this entire section solo.
1: Why?
2: Because your other two, um, I'm not quite sure why the other characters don't go with you, but... One of them, one of these other characters, is the guy that you rely on to make food for healing items. So you can't replenish your healing food after he's gone. Sounds awful. Yep. I mean, you can still. Actually, I'm not even sure if there's a healing spell. Um, yes. And um, the main, the main strategy for beating the final boss is to use basically a falcon-type haste spell on yourself. Mm-hmm. to get multiple hits in the next round and then stock up magic and keep repeating this until the boss dies. Oh boy, I'm so excited. And ju- and just to check, I found a, found a video of the final boss fight on Nico Nico Dogu, Doga where it took the guy 45 minutes to beat the final boss. Oh, good. At level 75. Oh... Care to guess what level I was on when I got to the final boss?
1: I'm going to guess closer to like 50. 53. Oh.
2: This is one of the rare games where I just petitioned Mac to say, no, I am never actually going to beat this final boss. Let me review it anyway.
1: Finishing this would not be fun. Yes. Okay, so,
2: yeah, that's bad escalation there. Um,
1: Uh, good escalation Uh, I've uh, I've ranted about how much I love the series before I'm going to do it again Uh, I kind of like how it's done in uh, Grandia in general like that especially that first one because it's just like you kind of start like your character does not have grandiose plans of becoming like some sort of knight or world savior it kind of just grows out of the fact that suddenly the world actually needs one. <laughs> Which I kind of appreciate. Like. Right? And then like the the sort of like point where it becomes an issue that has to has to do with like these spirits that sort of watch over the world is like suddenly having to prove the need to have them acknowledge that like yes, yes, we will humans are worth saving and we'll work with you. <laughs> I like Grandia. A lot. I, I think that one's a that one's a solid one.
2: Yeah, Grandia had a very good progression going on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay, let's see what's next on this. Um,
1: how big is the market for sports RPGs? Uh, heard the golf RPG uh, Golf Story did pretty well on the Switch, and Zuma Eleven titles were big in Europe and South America. Yeah, uh, I think that depends a lot on the sport. Uh, <laughs> a lot on the sport, a lot on how well they do the game to begin with. And just the window dressing. Like, you can get some, like, a lot of sport, like, sports simulation games to have things that would not, you know, like, you could look at them and be like, yeah, it's basically a simulation RPG. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like, you wouldn't. Like, that's a mode that you get inside of a game because you want to simulate the sport and you want more ways to simulate the sport. Whereas, like... I think that sports can work as, like, a good metaphor for, like, RPG combat. But the problem is that inherently they're so much longer than, a normal than like, a battle. Yeah. Like, they kind of have to be.
2: So it it's just depends on how you balance out the time requirements and the action and how things are supposed to work. I mean... Can you imagine trying to make an entire game about Blitzball?
1: I've met people that want that, and I can't even imagine it because I despise Blitzball. But yeah,
2: and that's still one of the better examples of working this in. Um, yeah, you know, Inazuma Eleven was workable because you can legitimately imagine like um, like little. No, it's on Scrimmage, uh, miniature scrimmages, three on three. Yeah. Without well, having to have the full game. And so that, that... actually turned into a fairly good stand in for random encounters.
1: And Inazuma 11 is also drawing on, like, decades of sports manga that. Uh, oh, especially. So especially, much especially, so. especially something like Captain Subasa, Massively.
2: So I, I just double checked, and yes, the soccer stadium in Fukuoka City is still level 5 stadium. <laughs> <laughs> They bought they bought the naming rights twelve years ago, and it is still Level Five
1: Stadium. That's what a lot of the stadiums are named after in America, but, uh, but I mean, yes. it's
2: it actually sounds like it should be the a boss zone in an RPG.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I, th- I think yeah. that there's there's untapped potential in this because, like. People like the feeling of persistence. They like the feeling of having a team that's growing, and I think an RPG context can do a lot for that. Golf story is actually kind of weird in that it is a you are one dude just playing golf or like weird variants of golf. But
2: though so, Dandy Dungeon does have a golf uh, side level, yeah, yeah, in the post-game content.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and I remember Nintendo used to do the to do this with their. Uh, with their Mario sports games when they were on handhelds like to, since they couldn't uh, have the like over-the-top style of the console games what they would do is they would give them uh, they would give them RPG sort of modes to contextualize just playing yeah. tennis or golf over and over and over again so
2: Power Pro Kun, one of them for the DS actually had an RPG campaign mode Mm -hmm. A fantasy RPG campaign mode.
1: (laughs) There's some really, uh, really old ones I could bring up. There's like a... Namco made a bunch of PC engine, like golf, tennis, and that kind of game. uh, Games that all had, like, they had normal modes, but they also had uh, modes that were, like, direct parodies of Dragon Quest. They're very strange.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Like it was a very of the time move, very 1989 move. But they're kind of cute if you ever uh, go looking for them. I wish I could remember their names, but yeah. But basically it's just
2: a really niche subgenre in yeah. a genre that is already incredibly niche at times. And I, a lot of studios just cannot manage the delicate balance of making it really interesting and making it playable.
1: Yeah, I think there, I think there is like a place in the market for these that isn't fully tapped because I mean like something like Inazuma Eleven could thrive for a long time, but I don't. It's a really difficult thing to do because like a lot of the kind of person who's going to check out an RPG that they've never heard of is the kind of person who isn't huge on follow sports. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's just it's just hard to sell that to the mass market sports audience and then you have to like pick a sport that is going to work cuz I mean like you could probably you can definitely sell like RPG number crunching to American football fans, but you can't sell an American football game to most of the world, so it doesn't matter like that sort of thing. Hey, fantasy football. Yeah. Like that is that is clearly something people will go for, but again, like so just make it real fantasy football, Final Fantasy football. Um, oh, I mean just yeah,
2: just for the <laughs> horde.
1: I will never get. I will never get over the fact that uh, Square Enix made a Mario basketball game for the DS that has no RPG mode for some reason.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I was thinking. I was just thinking of Mega Man Soccer. Oh, that's a weird game. Yeah. That's a stunningly incomplete game. That game does not play its ending uh, under any circumstances, even though it's in there. Uh, Too bad. If only.
2: What else we got here? Uh, Let's see. um, Has there been any JRPG impossible to localize because the IP was held by a committee? Well, a lot uh, of the Super Robot Wars tiles would fall under this. Yeah. And... um, Normally, I would have said Project Cross Zone, but that one did get localized and surprised the hell out of everybody. Yeah. Um, But, you know, I'm going to go for broke with the really crazy answer. Shonen Sunday White Comic.
1: Oh, I think you've mentioned this one. Any of those, like, Shonen...
2: Yeah. Well, this one, I mean, any of the Shonen crossover games is going to be a little difficult to begin with.
1: Like, outside of Jump, who's kept most of their properties licenses in the West...
2: Yeah, um, this one literally includes every single major selling manga from Shonen Sunday over the course of three decades.
1: A lot of those have been licensed, but oftentimes not by the same people, which is the real problem yes. here. Um I mean, I'm not even sure how many
2: of them came to America. I know um, Megumi no Daigo, whatever it was in English, the one about a firefighter. I know that one was licensed in America for a
1: while. Yeah, a lot of these would also have been licensed at one time, and it's unclear when or if their rights reverted yeah. back at any point. Yeah, but just just to underscore how
2: difficult this one particular game would be. You know, um, you might find—I mean, on most game manuals, you will find on the like the last page one or two lines dedicated to a copyright for the manual for yeah. this game one of the one of the final pages in the manual the entire page is nothing but copyrights It's
1: probably in a horrible tiny font too tiny font i lost
2: count past 70
1: oh no i don't like the sound of that
2: i mean seriously if i ever actually get around to finishing this game and reviewing it i am scanning that page and including it in the text uh, in the body of the review as proof that miracles do occur
1: in terms of IP crossover.
2: Yes, because if you thought Project Cross Zone was a miracle for existing with the IPs that it manages, Shonen's Sunday White Comic has three to four times as many. Yeah. A lot and of it Yes, in- they were all published by the same company originally, but Japanese are um, authors and artists still hold a lot more rights to that than you would think.
1: Yeah, they've got a they've got a bit more control over what's happening to these comics once they finish serialization than say anyone who's written an American comic for a major company in decades.
2: Uh, I mean, that part of that's just a a symptom of the American comics, book comic books industry and not letting go of anything.
1: Oh, definitely. Definitely. We, uh, I believe we're still in the process of a few different, like Superman esque adjacent lawsuits. So still, yeah. Okay.
2: But yeah, um, there are a few that are impossible to localize just because of that.
1: Yeah. I was thinking um, about like heroic aversions of this, like where something was a giant pain and the company did it anyway.
2: Yeah. Like
1: Cross definitely won. Uh, um, the, there were a couple
2: that um, Idea Factory and Nice did together, uh, but that was that was the time when Nice, Idea Factory, Compile, Heart, Gust, and Sega were actively cooperating to produce crossover material, I mean yeah, it's that the was same cr- same thing. Cross, that produce Neptunia. That was
1: Cross Edge and Trinity Souls. Yes, those think? were
2: two. Those were two of them. There, I think there were a few others involved. Yeah, those are the ones
1: we got in America.
2: Yeah, But I mean it was just a thing where those five companies all decided to you know be best buds and hang out, and that's how they all ended up with avatars of each company in the Neptunia games.
1: Suddenly, it all falls into place. I remember poor Capcom went to the trouble of bringing over uh, Tatsunoko versus Capcom, which in Japan, that's one company crossing over with another company. That's not that weird. In North America, they had to seek out like five different companies that had licensed different Tatsunoko anime. And eventually they got most of them. There was like one character they couldn't get hold of. I think it was see if I can pull this up. Uh, it appears to have been Ipotsiman, which is... I can't even imagine who licensed that in English. <laughs> but, Possibly, I don't remember either. Yeah, it appears to have... Oh, it was... Oh, Someone must have just generally licensed Time Bokan, and that probably got caught up in that. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, like, they, they went to a lot of trouble. They got some truly bizarre like characters to show up in this uh in this game that like they went to a lot of trouble and i i'm sad to say i don't think it was worth it i don't think the game sold well enough to justify the amount of effort they put into trying to make the game a thing you could release in the u.s but i really appreciate it (laughs) i don't think there was a lot of uh English speakers that were really excited to have Mega Man from Mega Man legends fight like Joe, the condor from science Ninja team, gotcha man.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: That's one of those where you just, it's like,
2: I don't know who any of these characters are. And it's kind of funny. Yeah.
1: I um, like it. I like, I'm a techaman
2: fan. Yeah. I mean, I know who most of those characters are now. Somehow I've, picked it up over the years, because some of them are so popular still. I mean, they remade Time
1: Zoltan, and I was very surprised. Yeah, I I think one of these actually just got another reboot. Uh, uh, *Hakshon Daimao. Oh, yeah, like two or
2: three years ago. Uh, Doki Doki Panic. But, yeah, like this... I mean, this was the same series that was the original version of Super Mario Bros. 2.
1: Yeah, Uh, like... I think they're related although i think these this one's like genies or something no uh, i mean
2: the game that that they turned into mario brothers 2 yeah was this that series i was that, that was uh, literally the same huh yes doki doki panic was a video game based
1: on the action daimao series huh didn't even realize that they were literally related i thought they just looked real similar but no That actually did get a hideously awful English release in, like, 1992 with the amazingly bad new English title Bob in a Bottle. (laughs) Oh. Uh, Something got massacred somewhere. Yeah, it was by Saban, so... Oh, okay. If you don't know, listeners, they are the the ones that uh, took Super Sentai and made Power Rangers out of it, so... And Power Rangers was the only real successful version of anything that they did. Yeah, like, that was the only time that someone was like, eh, you can just put whatever between these fight scenes and keep the fight scenes.
2: I mean, I mean, there have been other... I mean, there were other anime adaptations that did something similar, and I know there was this one, like, Indonesian oh, yeah. or Malaysian kickboxing movie that got the that treatment by an American release, and... Apparently, the actresses involved in the movie started sending death threats to the director afterwards. Wow. Uh, For chopping up the the movie so much and redoing it. Okay, let's see. Getting back to this next one. Should developers try to preserve the so-bad-it's-good things when they remake video games such as working designs, localization, something new, the night's voice acting, etc.? Uh, I would do a lot of things for Van, for Van Presto to fix Super Robot War's Moon Dwellers atrocious translation.
1: I don't think anyone's nostalgic enough for that, to, for anyone to ever consider that so bad it's good. It's just bad, but... Uh, I,
2: mean, I I do remember like when Final Fantasy IV was remade, and there was some to-do over whether or not they would be keeping certain oddities in the original translation.
1: Yeah, I think they like mostly... Spoonie Barred. Yeah, they kept Spoonie Barred. I think that was about it. Yeah, I mean, if if certain oddities in
2: trans in the translation end up becoming iconic for any random reason, they're probably going to be kept.
1: It's also one of those things as long as they don't directly contradict what the thing what it's actually supposed to be happening. Like that's yeah. they do something similar with like FF six on GBA, which got a very nice retranslation mm. that like kept as many lines as it could, but it translated away lines that like were iconic, but were in direct contradiction with what was going on in the game. (laughs) So I remember people being very upset that Setzer was no longer commenting on how the Empire had made him a very rich man. And then it took years for it to propagate that, like, oh, he's that's not the right line. He's supposed to be saying that that, uh, the Empire has made his business dry up. But... (laughs) Or the uh, confusion
2: over what one 216th of an airship actually is. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Because I remember people thinking, oh, it must be a piece of an airship. And if you get 216 of them, you have the full thing. And it's like, no, they're talking about a model airship.
1: Yeah, like one 216th scale. There's like a. There was very long ago, there was actually a similar. a uh, rumor floating around around the original f7 it was like one sixteenth soldier and it was like oh if you get all of these you can get zach back and it's like oh you people are dumb you people will fall for anything oh, they're model soldiers literally models yeah so yeah that's one of those things it's like i i yeah. think that it, it really is like as long as as long as it's not hurting anything like yeah and, like, you can just keep bits of it, just the bits that people remember, because a lot of a lot of stuff people don't even remember. I mean, and a lot of it's so rose-tinted,
2: they remember exactly the one thing that they liked, and they forget everything else that was awful.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, like, yeah. I, I would like for, like... When you get into things like voice acting, you also run into, like, extra rights issues. A lot of those early voice acting jobs, they ironically had... The voice actors had much more control over how much that they're... Uh, how much their stuff could be reproduced. And so, like, some things like Symphony of the Night's voice acting is probably not in danger, but there are some older cases where it's like, oh, we can't bring back that old voice acting because we literally don't have the right to do that. Yeah. Uh,
2: Okay, next question. Why did the JRPG explosion end with the PS2 and the PS3 was unable to continue the winning streak? Um, Well, well, I mean, technically, the explosion didn't really end until the end of the DS. Which yeah. happened around the same time as the PS2, but only because the PS2 lasted, like, 50% longer than it should have by general generation definitions.
1: Yeah. Like, the the way I would describe it is that the PS3 was a murder machine for mid-tier developers. Like, It was intentionally it was, really difficult to develop for, wasn't it? I'm not... Like... There are conflicting statements. Some of the things that Kutaragi is saying when that system came out imply that he did want it to be hard to develop for, but some of those might be ex post facto justifications for the fact that the system was hard to develop for. But the, pro- the point is, at the end of the day, it is a difficult system to develop for, and HD assets are expensive to begin with. So, like, you're taking something that's already going to kill a lot of developers because it's going to make game development budgets balloon, and you're making it worse because they're also going to be much harder to develop. So, a process mm-hmm. that was going to be painful became a process that just destroyed mid-tier development in Japan yeah. and the U.S. So, yeah, but, so, like there was lots of that so, in the U.S. <laughs> so the, yeah, that's on
2: the console side, kind of an economic winnowing. And on the handheld side, you had the entire R4 debacle. Yeah, that killed a lot of developers. Which, um, yeah, uh, I mean, the piracy got so rampant, I'm not surprised, or actually I'm surprised that so many of the minor studios survived that.
1: Yeah, like it's one of those things where it's like, in an abstract, I think that, like, piracy usually doesn't change much about, like... Because it's usually hard. Like, it's usually a pain to pirate something. hmm And... But, like, the R4 was a point where it was like, no, this is easier than buying a new game. Oh, yeah. This, this is simpler than just going out to buy a new game. You just go to the website and put it on the card, and then it's in your DS, and it's easy. Mm. Like... Nintendo sued that com- the company that manufactured the most famous flashcards into uh, into oblivion, and it's like normally and they were still
2: getting advertised in Famitsu for like three, or
1: four years. I remember. It is crazy to me that there was not a capacity to exert enough soft economic pressure to get them to stop doing that. It's crazy to me.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but, but
2: yeah, so yeah, on the console side, it was partly because the systems upgraded to the point where the studios could not keep up economically unless they already had a lot of money backing. And on the yeah. handheld side, partly it was because piracy nearly crashed the portable side of the industry.
1: Yeah, like... And then
2: the Nintendo beefed up a lot of stuff on the 3DS, which leads us back to, like, last week or two weeks ago when Wheels was trying to uh,
1: describe how ridiculously... 40-step process to hack that thing. Yes. <laughs> like... I feel like in a normal, healthier environment, Nintendo would not have started. Like the DS probably would have lived a few more years and the DSi probably wouldn't have existed because like the issue that the DS ran into is that they had no capacity to change its firmware. It just was what it was. So they couldn't lock things like that out. And Mm -hmm. it just, it destroyed a lot of, Companies that were doing quite well for themselves in handheld uh, development. Mm-hmm. It's uh the 3DS was, I think, essentially kind of their hand being forced. They needed to replace the DS because they could not afford to just let that sit there getting destroyed. Like it's the same yeah. thing, like the I think the PSP had slightly more capacity to lock it out. It didn't do it as much. Like, I mean it had all sorts of issues keeping people out, but the PSP, yeah. like, I think I want to say, like Monster Hunter, people usually had to buy. Uh, they had to buy an actual copy rather than pirating that. I'm not sure what the yeah. process was that caused that. It might have even just been that, like, it had checks for whether yeah, copies there, it was trying to connect few, with were genuine.
2: There were a few games that famously had piracy checks. Um, yeah. I remember uh, Phantom Hourglass had a check that would just stop break the game. Yeah, um, some of the- and. And uh, girlfriend for DS was very famous here. Did you ever hear about that one?
1: Doesn't she just, this is like a dating sim and she just sort of yells at you for being a pirate. Is this the, what I'm thinking of? But kind
2: or? of, kind of. So, I mean, when you if you have a pirated copy of the game and you start playing it, everything seems perfectly normal until you make your first save and load up from that save and the game's checksum fails. And then your girlfriend in the game summarily dumps your lying ass goes on a tirade about what an awful cheater you are and then every single girl in the game all the other (laughs) romance options also decide that they hate you
1: that's incredible yes there's some there's some fun anti like looking up anti-piracy stuff on the DS aside from being depressing does get to be funny at certain points there was like a rhythm game in the US Uh, it was like an Ubisoft like elite beat agents knockoff but it had Michael Jackson's music if you if you, if it detected it was a pirated copy it replaced all of the music with vuvuzelas so <laughs> it's a, it's a very strange object
0: oh god i had
2: not heard of that one that's good
1: <sighs> yeah so that's that's worth looking up if you've never seen it uh, but yeah you can you can sort of see the knock-on effect of this like i don't think that nino kuni on ds would have had the, Or at least would have emphasized the, the book anywhere near as much if it weren't for the fact that, like, this is how we defend ourselves from, from piracy. This is our option. Yeah.
2: It's like one of the most classic anti piracy measures ever. It's just put all the necessary details in the book.
1: Yeah, yeah, like, that is that is some straight up early 90s PC, like, here's the Monkey 90s, Island nothing. dial I think it's a mid-80s. pirate. 80s. Yeah, yeah, like, late 80s, early 90s, like, Monkey Island dial a pirate nonsense. But, yeah. Yeah, so that's... uh Except it's
2: a really awesome book.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, like, the best of those for both the DS and the PC were the ones that were like, well, this is meant to keep you from stealing it, but also, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's also really, it makes you like the game a little more because you're getting a piece of the world and it's like a really nice object by itself.
2: Mm-hmm. It's the kind of thing that you would normally find in deluxe box packaging.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure except we got loath- one with every
2: single copy of the game.
1: Yeah, I'm sure they were loath to have to print that, but I mean, they didn't really have a choice at that point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, after the repeats, there is one more set of fire minor questions if we want to.
2: Yeah, I noticed that,
1: and I've got like half an hour to kill, so let's try this. Okay. Uh, this one, you might know this better, or or I might, because I look into this a lot, but I'm not sure. Is there any Japan-exclusive RPGs for the MSX, PCFX, and PC98 worth a re-release? I noticed that in recent years there have been a trickle of PC98 visual novels being brought onto Steam. I think a lot of those well, are porn, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but, well, <laughs> quote-unquote
2: porn. Um, yeah. I mean, a, a lot of the more interesting games from that time period have already been re-released on something or other. Yeah. Um, I've been following WordWad on Twitter, and he's got tons of random stuff. And he will freely admit that this is very interesting, and it is complete garbage.
1: Yeah, like the the thing that's interesting about uh, I would not I'm going to say do not lump the PCFX in with those. It sounds similar. It's very different and much worse. But uh, those are the MSX PC88, PC98, Sharp. Like all of those were Japan exclusive PCs, and they have a market that is kind of reflective of the kind of pc market that existed in the uh us which is to say a lot of smaller companies a lot of like companies that never worked anywhere else because like they couldn't get licensing or they didn't want to or just like they wanted to work without restrictions. so you get a lot of games that are interesting and maybe not so good but i'd be interested to see them re-release even some stuff that like got sequels people have heard of. Like, I think the original EVO Search for Eden, like, prequel is on one of those Japanese PCs.
2: Yeah. Well, one of one of the systems was the original host for Linda Cube.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's probably like a PC 88 or 98 game.
2: I think it was a 98. And then it got released with a major graphics overhaul for PlayStation and looking only slightly less powerful than a regular PlayStation game. And it had the Sega Saturn remake that had to fourth scenario added on and i am just waiting for alpha system to get their stuff together and actually make a new or um like make a new version of it for something just so that the rest of the world can see how utterly bizarre again some of these games are
1: yeah like uh, i would that's one of those ones that like i feel like Someday someone's going to remake that again, and then someone will pick that up. It just feels like it. It I feel Mm. it in me bones. Let's see. Uh, Okay, I looked it up. The EVO EVO prequel uh, for PC-98 actually does have a fan translation. Uh, Mm -hmm. I forget what. uh, Yeah, it's just called EVO Theory of Evolution in that first one. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another one other of- than
2: that, um, I played Wings of Alnum once, which I was a sequel to Fang of Alnum. Wings of Alnum was literally one of the very first RPGs on the PlayStation, like in the first six months. And it is fundamentally awful in some crazy ways. <laughs> I mean, the, the color contrasting was awful, the lighting effects made it impossible to see sometimes um the the uh instead of fmv they had like static pictures where a few pixels would switch back and forth to make it look like people's lips were moving um the sound balancing was so awful that you could not understand what some of the men were saying because their voices were so gruff and it got <laughs> lost in the music um the menu system would occasionally just completely render half the list of spells invisible. Oh good. Yeah. Um there were issues with the world map and the way it was implemented. There were just so many things wrong with this game. Um
1: Yeah. This is making me, is making me remember I need to look when Hoshio Miruhito is coming out in England in America. Yeah. Because they sure announced that. <laughs> I don't know if it's translated, but it's happening. Wasn't already released? Uh it came out in Japan. I think it's supposed to come out in America officially. Uh, yeah, that's that's one of those other ones where it's like I I love seeing something that's like, this is not finished at all.
2: Like this is just broken. I'm just like, is it um did they actually finish it? Yeah. Launched worldwide last July.
1: Oh, it actually came out in on the U.S. shop. I didn't think it had. It said
2: launched worldwide on July
1: 30th. <laughs> Let me check. And you know what? It's about 1,000 yen. I might just grab this one. <laughs> it's time to play garbage. <laughs> yep.
2: We got a 19 out of 40 writing on Famitsu. That is remarkably generous. <laughs> <laughs> that is hot garbage. Um, yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, I do have a thousand yen on my st- on my uh, switch account that I have no
1: idea what to do with. If you've ever wanted to recalibrate how much something can fail you, I may uh, just have to do this. I'm sorry that I have cursed your life this way.
2: Hey, I've played worse. Oh, I, on my 3DS, I actually have a downloaded copy of a of a Famicom Disk System game. That's my dream. <laughs> They oh, cannot be worse told- than Esper Dream.
1: I've heard about Esper Dream.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh-huh.
2: <sighs> yep. That was the one where um, it still has load times. It's just They're just not as bad as they were on the original system.
1: <laughs> you have to feel the access pause.
2: Yeah. But the fact that this is a less than 8-bit game experience with load times. Yeah. This is a game that does not have katakana because it didn't have enough memory.
1: Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, those uh, fds uh, discs are very, very space-limited.
2: Yes! Uh, huh. That's a polite way of putting it.
1: <laughs> uh, and they're double-sided. And they're still super space-limited.
2: Yes, and there was one town in the game that is noted for requiring you to flip the disc in order to access it and then flip the disc again when you leave. Which, thankfully, you don't have to do with the 3DS version, but it's still like a 20-second load time. You love it. Yep. Okay, let's see. Let's see another question here. I've got about 20 minutes. Which RPG franchise has the most spectacular death? Breath of Fire, Ultima, Mass Effect, anything touched by EA or Bethesda? I feel you know, like it's so has. Most spectacular death of a character or most spectacular death I think of the a franchise.
1: franchise? I think it's the franchise based on these. I think, like, most of these just sort of, like, petered out rather than exploding. I feel like Mass Effect is the only one that exploded. Image epic. Oh, Image Epoch, yeah, oh, that, was sad.
2: that That one, okay, that wasn't so much an explosion as it was, we're not sure where the company president is right now. We haven't heard from him in a while. Oh. <laughs> and it's still a missing persons mystery.
1: Yeah. Oh, boy.
2: So, yeah, okay, that's not, I mean, that's...
1: That's I'm not sure. a franchise so much as a company, but yeah.
2: Yeah, but, um, I mean, depends on how you describe spectacular, because it when your company's demise reads like an Agatha Christie novel.
1: Yeah, there's there's definitely that's pretty a lot. Spectacular. Be, there's definitely a lot to be said for and the mystery is yet unresolved as to what happened. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, that's a big one. Like I mean looking at the other ones like Breath of Fire petered out, Ultima petered out uh like Bethesda managed to release Fallout seventy six and not kill that franchise, so I don't know that anything can. Uh, but yeah, I mean Mass Effect is the one where it's like you can immediately pinpoint when people lost interest, and it's like five minutes before the third one ended. So, <laughs> like yeah. that's that's as much as you can really do is in terms of like a spectacular death. Yeah.
2: I mean, you could almost have said Unlimited Saga, except the series has actually survived that.
1: Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, if if Kawazu had decided that he was done after Unlimited Saga, you could pinpoint that as like, nothing has ever killed interest in a franchise like that. But people just, like when you bring back roma- the name Romancing and people are like, and like show them a Romancing game, it's like, oh, well, I'm willing to get, I'm willing to get hurt again. <laughs> and then you didn't get hurt, so.
2: yeah. And the game was awesome.
1: Yeah. But yeah, like you, it's it's all about the right positioning when you bring it back. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Like Ultima is kind of funny in that they keep like poking its corpse, but like, it's it's dead. The the more funny thing to do is to go look at Richard Garriott's. Uh, wikipedia page and see whether someone's edited garage sale simulator on his list of games developed uh again because he keeps trying to edit that out of his wikipedia page but was
2: this an actual game or are they making fun of him i'm pretty sure it's an actual
1: game like i've looked into it and found evidence that there is a game called garage sale simulator that he seems to have been uh involved in in some capacity but so it might be an elaborate hoax, but I think it's a real thing and he just doesn't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> Moving on yeah. Uh, In regards to Falcom's recent announcements that the trails uh, the next trails game will be an action-oriented title, do you think they're doing some sort of consolidation like first making an engine then possibly bringing trails closer to east in terms of gameplay? That sounds like the kind of streamlining to me. This isn't the first, like, Kiseki game that's an action game. I feel like I should point out. Uh, Nayuta no Kiseki from, like, ten years ago is also... Which had no
2: real connection to any of the other Kiseki games.
1: Yeah, it's just called Nayuta no Kiseki. I'm not quite sure what they were going for with that, but it is vaguely this idea. I think Hachimari no Kiseki is probably the one that's being talked about here, although I admit I haven't kept up. Yeah.
2: Uh, I figure it was more like um, just almost like a Final Fantasy style evolution of the action economy where awesome. you have the, um, yeah, where Final Fantasy went from regular turn-based to ATB turn-based and then sort of leaning heavily on the ATB to the point where they just didn't bother with the turn-based anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay, it yeah, looks like Tajiman and Ophiseki
1: already came out, so it must be referring to a future game. Yeah. So, uh, uh, I think it's possible. I mean, they have a lot of expertise in action RPGs. It's easier. It's easier to develop like that. I mean, people like people like action. It, whatever you want to say. It, yeah, it gives the impression of more power to the player. Yeah. So I mean, it's possible. I don't see them completely ditching uh, turn-based for Trails. We might see. Uh, more splintering of the series, because, I mean, that's something that they're no stranger to. Uh, uh, certainly, I would imagine they want to share as much technology between their games as possible, just for, uh, I mean, logistical reasons.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, yeah, I'll have to look up more about what was actually said to prompt this question. Uh Let's see.
2: And last question here. Are there many Jidaigeki video games remaining exclusive in Japan that the West should know? I've been on a Zatoichi binge, and before that, playing pretty much every samurai game I could get my hands on. I even thought about that Yakuza game that takes place in the Meiji era.
1: That uh, Kenzon's pretty fun, as is Ishin, although that's Bakuma, yeah. so.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess a lot of it depends on uh, what you count as Jidaigeki and what you count as historical fiction, and what you count as Red Company on a Bender. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So, um, if you want to go all the way to Absolute Crazyville, try Tengai Makyo.
1: Oh, man. Please, please try Tengai (laughs) Machio.
2: So, again, if you're not familiar with this one, the original game, Tengai Makyo Jiraiya, was very loosely based on a a late 18th century ninja novel that provides a lot of the set... I mean, pretty much everything you think about, you know about ninjas from anime and manga came from this novel originally, it's including, several, including <laughs> several major components of Naruto came from yeah. this novel originally. So the, uh, the framing device for this game that was based on a ninja novel, the framing device is that there's this 18th century British folklorist or 19th century British folklorist, um, whose name is an acronym for the developers' names. Um, and so he he's sitting in his office in Victorian England, and he's received some papers from the Far East, and he's trying to reconstruct part of the history of the land of Jipangu, Japan, based entirely on materials that he has been provided and cannot actually read that well.
1: It's, uh, it's a very and cute framing device.
2: And this has been translated into the plot of a JRPG. Which is why it gets really weird really fast. And it references everything from Japanese folklore and mythology to a popular Showa period television drama.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, unique. And there's not a lot like it. Yep. Yes. And we've, we've
2: discussed... Tengo Makyo 4, The Fourth Apocalypse as being what happens when the studio does the same thing to America.
1: Yeah. (laughs)
2: A couple of weeks ago. It's, um, yeah. But yeah, there will always be samurai-type games in this country just because it's...
1: For the same reason, there's always going to be, uh, medieval fantasy in, uh, basically anywhere that can trace lineage back to Europe. Yeah. But... yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I would appreciate, like, more of this this kind of theming in games. Just because, like, I, I like these this this look and this, likes I like when it mixes with, like, yokai anthologies and, like, you know, all that st- sort of thing. It would be nice to see more of these kinds of things, but I'm not sure how many are coming out in Japan that just aren't coming out here and how much they're just, like, eh. It's considered a little old hat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, can can personally vouch for Yakuza Kenzan. Uh If you've never played it, uh, Way of the Samurai is also a very is a hoot of a time. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that would be those would be my immediate. Uh, personal like if you're still hungering for these sorts of things and haven't played them yeah yeah uh, so that's uh, that's another batch of firefighters questions uh, I think we actually
2: finished like uh, oh no because he did put up one last thing that he said should keep us busy throughout the, through the rest of the year and there were a uh, bunch of questions before that as well, so you know what, next week we shall give Fireminer a skip and just try to get through everything that was asked before his last wall of text.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I do want to say that, like, it, in the middle of all these questions, Fireminer kept apologizing for, like, asking all these questions. I promise you we don't we don't mind. Even if it's something we've answered before, even if it's, like, you accidentally asked the same question twice, it we, like... If it's something we don't want to answer, we'll just we will politely skip over it. We appreciate all the questions. <laughs> yeah. That goes for everyone. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah. So next week we'll hit a bunch of questions that have also been asked uh, by the kind people of Discord. It doesn't look like we have any in the comments section, but that is always open in the future. Uh, <laughs> I believe uh, M 3 uh, apparently asked us questions while recording his own Dragon Quest podcast. So that was yep, quite a choice to be making. But yeah, uh, since we're kind of closing out, you sh- and since we're pushing close to when you'll have to leave, I think you should do some plugging.
2: Oh, yes. Yeah. So, yes, I'm still, I've still got my nine, currently nine part novella series on kindle unlimited princesses of the pizza parlor um trying to get the art the cover art finalized for number 10 so um i hope hope to hear back from that lady soon
1: um
2: and still writing other stuff yes yeah
1: yeah, yeah that's all available uh if you look for michael yari music yes
2: Y A R I M I Z U because hey Michael Baker happens to be what like the 10th most generic name combination you can find on the internet.
1: I'm just curious what kanji are in Yadimizu. I just assume the second one's the water one, but I'm not sure. Spear and water. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense.
2: Yeah. Except it's not the standard kanji for spear for my wife's family name.
1: That would make sense. I would imagine that it's one of the well, those family. Names no, I mean, it, it could be the congie.
2: standard one for spear. It just depends on which family you're talking about. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: There, there's three I, different
1: kanji you could fit in there. That makes sense.
2: Yeah. But yeah, um, and currently, um, yeah, Twitter does this has this thing every few months called Pit Mad, where you just start putting up all of your story pitches.
1: Nice.
2: Um, and try it and um, see who is paying attention. And I've um, so basically um, the idea is that agents and publishers should like your pitches if they're interested, mm, and if and if you're not a publisher or an agent, you should just retweet. And I think at least one person on my feed here did not realize that part. So, uh, um, <laughs> but I've got uh, got a couple others that are actually, um, or I got at least one. Mm. That is an actual hit here.
1: That's something at least. Uh, we, we shall see. Yeah. So those are available uh, and more is forthcoming. Yep. Uh, okay. And I don't know if the podcast will actually end here or if it's going wow. to, or if Man Wheels will uh, record a bit more once he comes back. Uh, okay. Uh, if it does end here, then I'll, at the very least, leave with the usual like. Uh, uh, here's the uh, you can put Discord questions in the Discord the RP Gamer Discord in the podcast section, or you can put them on the comment section to this very episode that you may or may not have downloaded directly from the RP Gamer website, or maybe you got it from a podcast source. I don't know. <laughs> You'll have to answer that yourself. But uh, they're always welcome. Uh, we can always find a way to tangent off of them into something much worse Uh, but yeah if this is the end then see you space cowboys if not well then I guess I've wasted my I've wasted my wealth to do on you
2: (laughs) haha okay well well then catch you next week see you okay